0: You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, how Lawrence amassed a six-figure net worth and doubled his income to six figures.
1: T minus 10 seconds.
0: Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Soufrant, as a money expert who walks her talk. She helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 Journeyers. As always, I am excited to bring you this week's episode of the podcast. Now, on the podcast this week, we have Lawrence Gonzalez, who is also known as a neighborhood finance guy. He's also a journeyer. He listens to the podcast and he follows me on Instagram. He always is really great about tagging me on Instagram at journey to launch. That's where I hang out most socially, letting me know when he's listened to an episode. So I went digging to his page and saw that he had an amazing personal finance story himself that he went from a negative net worth to a positive net worth. So went from six figures of a negative net worth to six figures, positive net worth. Also, was able to more than double his his income. So now he's earning six figures and he just has a really good way on his page and in his blog explaining what he's doing, like giving concrete tips and relatable information to help with financial literacy and freedom. So I thought, let me invite Lawrence on the podcast and it's pretty cool because Lawrence is also Haitian. I am not Haitian, I'm Jamaican, but my husband is Haitian. So I just thought it was pretty cool that we had a connection on that level. So I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. Just a little bit more about Lawrence. Lawrence is the creator of the NeighborhoodFinanceGuide.com which provides financial empowerment tips and general tax guidance. He also shares his journey to financial freedom and independence there. He has a strong passion for giving back to the community and has over a decade of experience working with schools and organizations through mentoring, event programming, and curriculum writing. Lawrence is a proud Haitian American and is a decorated veteran sergeant of the United States Marine Corps. First, a word from our sponsor, DCU, also known as Digital Federal Credit Union. Now, at their core, credit unions were founded on the philosophy of people helping people. For individuals that might find themselves part of the underbanked or underserved communities, credit unions offer individuals a safe place to manage their finances or help fund purchases as an alternative to other financial service providers like payday lenders. At DCU, the credit union places an enhanced focus on financial education, by offering learning modules on key financial topics like budgeting, saving for the unexpected, building credit, and much more. DCU also offers a secured credit card that could help individuals establish or improve their credit by borrowing securely against their savings balance. To learn more, check out dcu.org. And stick around to the end of the show for a new segment called the DCU Money Tips of the Week, where I'll be sharing tips to help you save and manage your money so you can reach your goals. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or you can click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode to get the full episode show notes. Now, if you are a new listener to the podcast or an OG journeyer, I've created a jumpstart guide to help you on your journey to financial freedom it includes the top episodes to listen to the stages to go through to reach financial freedom resources to help you and so much more get it for free by texting launch to 33777 text launch to 33777 or go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide for free right now okay let's hop into the episode. Okay, journeyers, I'm excited to have a fellow journeyer in the rocket chair this week. I have Lawrence Gonzalez, better known as the Neighborhood Finance Guy on Instagram. Hi, Lawrence.
1: Hey, how's how's everybody everybody going?
0: (laughs) Good. So, okay, we follow each other on Instagram, and that's why I feel like I first connected with you, and you're always really supportive of the podcast and my work and i remember um i don't know how it went about we probably were exchanging some sort of correspondence and on dm or maybe i responded to you and i said why don't you like here's the link to come on the show but that was like a while ago so before we pressed record you were saying you were surprised to see that i emailed you back and i was like yeah come on the show
1: yeah i was kind of like oh snap it's a surprise it's 2020 a lot of things go weird so this is actually the positive you're like oh there's something good happening today it's actually good
0: Yeah. Well, so I, first of all, I gotta be honest. Like it's funny because whenever I get to like talk to a black man on the show, I'm always excited, honestly, because I have a lot of women on the show and I have a lot of black women and some white men. And when I was like looking back at like my roster of guests, like it's not that many black men, they're black men, obviously in the space and that I'm cool with, and they're going to be on the show, but I'm always just like, I want to like represent for the black men. And on top of that, you're Haitian. So what's up, Sa say.
1: Na Bule, na
0: And just to give you a background on that, my husband is Haitian. I do not speak Creole, hence my last name is Soufranc. But it's his fault. I don't speak Creole. It's not my fault. It's like all on him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll put the blame on him. And <laughs> I think the first time I actually saw and spotted you, I'm like, Jamila Soufranc, that's like that's a Haitian last name. i like, she has to be Haitian. I was like, I guess she's not because she never reps Haiti. Listen, well, we have a big thing in the Haitian culture. Like you're always gonna see the flag somewhere. That's the oh, telltale tell song. Y'all go
0: hard. Let me tell you something. Y'all go hard. So I, I am married into the culture, but you know, I represent for Jamaica like always. But the reason why I wanted you on the show, Lawrence, is because one, you have a really, I think, nice way of breaking down numbers and finance. Your your page is very educational. And then even when you sent me your information, like your background, I was reading through it and we're going to get through all of that, guys. I was like, you do so much, you've done so much. And so we're going to talk about how you went from a negative six figure, like in debt, like network to positive, like net worth, your background, how it lends itself to your auditor, you work in the community. You have all these things about you that I think help you explain and talk to people when it comes to money. So I can't wait to get into it with you.
1: I'm definitely excited to do so too.
0: All right, so let's hop into just when you started the Neighborhood Finance guy because you have such like a history and like in the community, you were um, in the military and you have a full-time job. Like what made you decide to start like a personal finance component or brand as a part of what you do? Because I feel like you seem so busy already.
1: Well, it all seems so busy, but I guess in the Marine Corps, we're always kind of busy, but we really have more time to actually do a lot more. I think we just naturally just do more than a lot of people. We just like to get engaged. We like to stay active, and this is so, something I like to do. And I started the neighborhood finance guy probably way back in 2012 when I really realized I had a problem with the, my money. And that happened at one point. It was one because I I saw that I had 125 thousand dollars of student loan debt. That's on top on top of everything I was dealing with as far as credit card debt of like five thousand dollars because I was at the max. I, they couldn't give me any more. So that's the only reason I was there. So I was having problems and I went to Mint.com, and I pulled up my, I guess, the expense ratio. And you start seeing how you're spending out your money all, all over the place and you start noticing the pattern. Then I did the math yet again, pull out an Excel sheet, use the math, looked at it, and I realized I was spending about $375 a month on average on food by myself. At the time, I was living in a four bedroom uh, situation in Tallahassee, you know, basically college town. So that's kind of how we we all kind of have our spaces. So we're there and all the other guys while I'm cooking generally for everybody else and everybody's eating, everybody's having a good time. And I'm calculating their money because they all eat out in different ways. It turns out we were spending about two thousand four hundred dollars a month on food. That was the average that we were pulling off. When I told those, the guys that, and they just kind of looked at me he's like, ah, you're crazy. And they, they went on their merry way because I couldn't express to them how much money we were spending. I had to figure out a new way to, I guess, educate them on what was going on. So that's how I got into this little financial literacy space because I was like, I need to know enough of this information so I could teach them what's going on so they could understand it a little bit more. So every time I said something like a 401k, they're like, what? So I had to go figure out some other way to figure it to, to do this. I didn't do, uh, Excel sheets didn't work. I started doing like drawings if I had to. I started calling them on the phone if I had to. It's literally telling them anything and everything.
0: Okay, so let's go back then to at that point. You were in hundred and twenty five thousand dollars worth of debt at that point when you started to realize how much you were spending, and that was mostly student loans. So what did you
1: go to school for? I went to school for a master's in accounting specializing in taxation.
0: Wow, okay.
1: It sounds fancy, but I never really finished (laughs) because I literally was coming up with so much money that it just felt like there was something wrong and I needed to start working to actually pay it off.
0: You mean you were accumulating a lot of debt?
1: Yes, it was too much debt. It was way too much and there was no end in sight. I think I had like four more credit hours or almost like a whole half year to complete. And that I didn't know exactly how much that would have cost. And I was like, I need to figure out how to get a job as soon as possible.
0: Okay, and I'm gonna go a little bit back deeper into your story. Cause I feel like a lot of people can relate. So you actually grew up in Haiti, right?
1: Yes. Yes. I was born in Miami, but my mom was a single mom. So she couldn't take care of us. So she sent me and my older sister, which like two years older than me at the time I was 11 months. So they sent me there. I had, I still had no idea who my mom really was until nine years later. That's how long I spent in Haiti. So and even when I was coming to the America, it was actually funny because my aunt told me, hey, you want to go on vacation? And then she pointed at like Florida. Then she said, oh, go to Disney World. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lie. She packed everything that I had and sent me back home.
0: So sent you back to Miami? Yes. Well, it's so, that's so interesting. That's like the reverse kind of like way, because typically like, so I'm also child of an immigrant, but I was actually left behind in Jamaica while my mom established herself in the United States, but I guess it was cheaper for your mom to have you in Haiti. And that, I mean, that happens often a lot too, like to send and send you probably back money and things to help raise you from afar.
1: Yeah. I didn't have, I had no idea who she was for until like maybe at eight years old, she came to um, kind of visit. And I was like, oh, this, this our mom. And my sister's like, yeah, that's our mom. So she had to confirm <laughs> like who she was Wow, because we never saw her the entire time.
0: So when you came here at nine, so and I'm going back, just to like kind of get your money story and how you got to the point where you went to college, which a lot of us do, like, you know, you are entering college and then you're getting advanced degrees and you're, you know, you're, you're trying to change the cycle of whatever it is with your family and wealth. And so you're going to do as whatever you can to get ahead. But then we're not taught about student loan debt or maybe making the best choices when it comes to like the school versus the tuition costs. So at what point you said that you realized it was like too much money, but like that you were spending. So like you never finished that degree, you just said.
1: I never finished that degree. That's something I have to come clean with everybody all the time. Like even though I learned enough about it, at some point it just, the debt becomes so much, it suffocates you and you, you realize there's something has to give. It's like, do I take on an additional 10 more, maybe another 20 more thousand dollars because graduate school credits are a lot more expensive. They're about a thousand dollars per hour.
0: Right. Were you working at the time or going to grad school full-time?
1: I was just going to grad school full-time at the time.
0: So then on top of that, you had to like have loans for your living expenses. It's not like, you know, and no income. So, okay, what do you do? Because at this point, like six figures of student loan debt, you don't have your finished degree. What were you thinking at that time to like to get out of this?
1: In pure genius moment, I decided to take out my 401k from my military time that I spent uh, overseas. So I was like, oh, I have $5,000. I'll use that to get me a CPA um, degree. So by, by studying for the license and I, I spent all of that money. So I took on that initial fee, which is when you withdraw from 401k, you're going to get that fee. And then eventually the year afterward, they hit me with another fee because that's when you see it in your taxes again. So you see it twice. So I took that money. I tried to study, but I was still so frazzled with everything. I was trying to live my life, trying to pay off bills, trying to really just focus couldn't do it, and I had to go get a job. And the first job, or the only job I was able to get, was paying twenty three thousand dollars before taxes.
0: Wow! And
1: what job was that? That was at the Florida Department of Agricultural, uh, basically, as an admin secretary job. It was glorified admin secretary, but I was there, and it was the only job, and I was grateful for it. It was one of those days, especially in Florida, if you know about it. Like we don't, we sometimes have like roll down windows and no AC while it's raining. So even that day, it was happening. Everything that was worse that was happening was happening at one time, right? So I just took the job and I thought it was the best job I could ever, uh, I guess, achieve at the time and started working from there.
0: So what year was this?
1: This was back in 2012. Shortly after in the fall, I got that job making 23. I worked there for six months. I started tweaking my resume at the same time, learning the language of a resume. So how do you express this in just one page? And almost to a point of mastery, I sent it to somebody else and I got a job, I guess, another job, an elevated job paying $32,000 a year. Okay. And shortly after that, six months later, I did the same thing. As I was kind of like, you know, doing my documents, working my paperwork, and I did my resume again. One of the ladies says, hey, you should apply for the, the the higher level position. I was like, all right, cool. I applied for it. I got rejected because I was there for such a short amount of time. So I went back to my desk and applied for uh, a job working for the government. And lo and behold, I got, this, I got a job making $64,000 six months later.
0: From the $32,000 job? Yes. Okay, so that's like double of what you were making before. And I want to like just point out things for people because I always like to like have people think, okay, how does this apply to me? So- you were able to take whatever skill sets you were bringing on or having and using at your current situation, your job, put that in a resume form. So you had to understand how to like write your resume in the proper way. And, and you probably had to tailor it to the places you were sending it to. So, you know, you knew exactly what they were looking for, but I think that's, that's incredible that you doubled your income.
1: Yeah. And I think during that process too, I'd learned, and it's not just, I was doing my own resume. I started learning these techniques and I started saying. Guys, do you know our techniques suck? And, like our resumes suck. We need to actually fix them because nobody was actually reading their, their resumes. There's a lot of grammatical errors in there, there's a lot of just bad information. Let's say if you were a majorette in, in high school, I'm like, why is this here? It's <laughs> like because I did it. I worked at McDonald's when I was in high school, that was in there. I had to take that out. I had to literally learn what's important on the resume. Even if it goes from a three page to just a one page, if a one page is more effective, that's what you need. Right. So I started helping everybody that I can with their own resumes as well. So they'll just send me their resumes. I'll review it. And that helped me process, you know, almost language better. Like, what can I do better about my resume? What can I do better on a, an interview? How can I actually help other people as well? So as you help other people sometimes, it also helps you.
0: Oh, yes. I love that. So what was this job that you started making $64,000 in?
1: This job, 64, uh, the current job that I have right now as an auditor. Okay. So I stayed up there and now, I guess now they promoted me to $109,000.
0: Okay. So six figure income at this point, starting from in 2012, a $23,000 income.
1: Yes. Yes. So it's definitely not the end for everybody. It's not the end.
0: So it sounds like too, like, so you still found your way. It seems like you were always good at math and numbers because you still found your way into like the auditing field. So you had tried and, you know, I think this is interesting. So you tried like the degree, you tried the CPA. So the CPA thing never worked out
1: from what I... The CPA thing never worked out. Not yet. Still need to work on it.
0: <laughs> okay. So I find that interesting because sometimes people have this like one way of like, okay, if I, if I had a vision of being a lawyer and so they thought think lawyer is the only way to go, but then there's these skill sets that it takes to be an amazing lawyer that you can use in other areas of the field or just s- totally separately. And so some people would have like given up and they're just like, well, you know, I have an interest in math, but like, I can't complete these things that I'm starting, but you still found a way to use what you love and this passion you have for numbers into your job that you have now. I would love to talk through that
1: a little bit. Yeah. Part of it is really trying to figure out what works best for you. So for me, testing might not be the thing, but I'm very creative and I'm very much like if anything happens, you know, as far as like critical things are happening around me. I'm very much very relaxed. So I could actually come up with solutions very quick. It's not as malleable on a test, but as far as in, you know, word conversation with different people or what I need to do at work or how I need to think about something creatively, that's what I do. So I do understand anybody that feels that, hey, this didn't work out, that didn't work out. And it's true. Maybe it's just not your style, but even at my job currently, my HR makes more than me. My HR secretary makes more than me. That's because you don't have to be the auditor at the job. You don't have to be uh, the accountant. You don't have to be the lawyer. You just have to, you know, basically seek a better life for yourself that actually works. Sometimes your skills and what you have innately might be different from what you perceive your life should be.
0: Mm, Right, right. Because I think, too, like the construct of where we live, it is, you know, especially kids. And I have kids in school. It's all about, you know, like right knee, get the test, you know, sit straight, get the 100 on the test. And not everyone learns and displays their gifts in that way. And when you're conditioned in this manner and you're not succeeding in the ways that society wants you to succeed, then I think it can lend you to discount what it is that you're actually good at. So it takes like the understanding of really, OK, like what are my strengths? And how can I still use that to earn me more money and live my life?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Because for me, it's about being a strategist. I think that's really my passion. That's what I do. I, I understand something uh, schematic-wise, and I could bring it into something I can actually use. And what really sparked me a little bit was my grandmother, because thinking about her, and it's like, okay... I can't make $23,000 work. I was like, Lawrence, you have seen somebody that that done that. Your grandmother never made more than $23,000. and She had six kids. She lived a great life. And so how did she do it? How did she pull it off? I started thinking about what was my grandmother doing? What was her daily routine like? They did meal prep all the time. We didn't call it meal prep back then. It wasn't a fancy term. It was just the way that they were doing it. It's how they live. They live below their means because they didn't have a lot. So they were very economical about how they do things. They even bartered a lot. They bartered services. They always did side hustling. All these new terms, right? These new like ways of life that were there. My grandmother did all of those things. A lot of Caribbean parents did all of those things all the time.
0: Yeah, it's so crazy. It's just like sometimes with like personal finance, especially the financial independence movement. Like that, you know, you're coming up with all these hacks, and it's like, listen, this is what we like. Our family's been doing this, like out of necessity, not because of choice. And I think. It puts us in such a unique opportunity and perspective. Like I know, like living in today's world, with today's you know nice all the niceties we can have, and then just like especially if you live in a high cost of area living, like the standards are a little bit different. And I find like there's two things happening. There's that well, my like my mom grew up at some point she didn't have running water, like where she you know how she grew up, and she grew up very poor, and so. For a lot of people, you experience that where your parents or your grandparents experience that. So then to come into a place where you're saying, I'm choosing to actually live really below my means. They're like, we didn't work this hard for you to like, not look like you don't have anything. Like, you know, you buy the house, like drive the nice car, some, some, right? Like they want you to, they don't want to see you struggle because they equate kind of like what they came from as something that you shouldn't have to do. And then I feel like it's the people who are like doing this and they don't have a choice. So how can we use that to our advantage?
1: I think part of it is trying to find out what you really love to do. I don't know if it was one of the, your, the podcasts that you're actually speaking on, because I typically run <laughs> while listen to these podcasts. I can't write any notes. But ultimately, it's a matter of finding what you really love to do. Some people think that they need a big home, but you have to think, okay, how do you clean this big home? <laughs> Some people think that they want to entertain. It's like, I want to go find a home so I could buy, so I could entertain people, but then realize you have kids and you don't want to entertain anybody because you're just at home nope. and you're enjoying <laughs> your life. So there's all these different things that we need to start dissecting away from our understanding. Even if my mom calls me and says, hey, you need to buy a a four bedroom home. I'm like, what what kids? I have to start like, you know, defining those parameters, not to say that I don't want to live a, you know, I guess a better life all the time. But in in the end of the day, this is the life for me. I love it. I have a, a fridge with food in there and I'm very grateful for that. So sometimes it's not as like, crazy. You do not have to be the Joneses to actually live a life that you deserve and that you love. Every day you wake up, you're so relaxed. You're so stress-free. This is exactly what people really want in their lives.
0: Yes. It's that, yes, that feeling, that security, the options. Like, so if I choose to, you know, live poor, right, I'm just quote, like, quote unquote poor, you know, like really on a less, like that's my choice, but it's to have the choice I think is from what most people want. So, OK, now you're making well, we, we've kind of skipped ahead to where you're like making six figures. But like even before that, now you're not paying off your debt. How long did that take you?
1: Still paying off my debt. So I think okay. there's still debts happening all the time. I'm getting married and turns out as of like two days ago, my fiance told me because I literally thought we were done paying for stuff until she said, oh, we got an additional 10 grand in pain you know, November. I almost died in that, that chair. I was so shocked. Wow. I didn't know where the money was coming from. But ultimately, that is something for me I live with. It's very manageable. It's something very simple. I have enough assets that cover me. But ultimately, how we process it is, first, we tackle the credit card debt that we have that are 24%, 25%. We start knocking that down as soon as possible. If we could get a credit card with zero APR, that could afford you a little bit more time as you figure things out. We also, me and my fiance, we tackled uh, undergraduate student loans. So we, she's basically debt free, technically. She could, she could say that. Me, I still have the $90,000 of graduate school debt that's under public's uh, student loan forgiveness plan. So that's a little bit more time. That's uh, like five more years, and then I'll be done with that. But everything else that we have, we maximize that. We make uh, fair use of it. We do a lot with our 401k, our IRAs, our HSAs are maxed out. And our even taxable brokerage accounts are also maxed out as well.
0: So I think this is actually a great example of still having debt and investing at the same time and reaching your financial goals because there's some like experts that are just like, pay down all your debt. But, you know, it's okay to strategically hold debt, especially if it's like a low interest rate or if you're in a, like a public loan forgiveness program where you expect it to, you know, from some of it to be forgiven. There's a strategy to that and it's okay. So I love that you're saying, even though you have debt, you have found a way to manage it which I feel like some people just need to like work through just living with it while they're paying it off, but also while they're investing and accumulating wealth.
1: Yeah, because if I had only focused on paying down all the $125,000, I would not be as far as I am today. I actually own a home. I have a rental property. I also have a small business I'm starting up. So all these little things would not have happened if all my focus was just on paying down the debt. I'll likely be in this year done paying it off if I actually did it just straight And I would never accumulated anything in my 401k, nothing of the matching contributions, none of the tax savings associated with the matching contributions, none of that would be there. It'd just be, I'd be debt-free and I, I guess I'd be happy, but I wouldn't have anything to actually um, even purchase a home after that. It'd take me some time as well. So I learned throughout the process that it's just not as uh, great for everybody.
0: Yeah. And and that's the thing. There's some people who being debt free at all costs, like that's all that matters. And they'll worry about building the assets on the other side. Right. And I'm more probably like you where even if I had debt or, you know, I have my mortgage now, like I'm still going to aggressively invest at the same time if I can. So I love that this is a unique journey. Everyone's journey is going to be unique. So you may be listening and you're just like, well, no, I need to pay off my debt. I can't like sleep at night with this debt. But you may be thinking, you know what? Like, I know I have this debt, but I also want to like buy a home or invest in something else. Like you can do that too. You just have to figure out what works for you.
1: Yeah, I think anytime you, if you have like $20,000 worth of student loan debt, yeah, that's a lot of money, but that's doable. When you start thinking about people carrying $80,000, $100,000, that's really, it's going to take you a lot longer than that (laughs) to actually knock it down. And that's what gets a lot more difficult and could actually spiral people down the wrong path. I've worked with somebody that had the same debt um, story that I had. She had 80,000. I had, you know, the additional 80,000 and we were just both on there and they eventually capitalized into the 90. So we both have this and she decided to go on a debt free journey. She froze her, um, her credit cards. She, she said, you know what, I'm going to get a personal loan to get all my credit cards on. So that's what she did. And a year later, I asked her what, you know, almost like we're coming back together and trying to figure out what happened a year later. I was on my way to owning a home. She actually, I guess, unfroze her credit cards at some point because she wanted to use it because she hasn't dealt with herself and what she really loved. So she really wanted to just use a credit card. She has now the, the credit cards on top of the personal loan, on top of the debt. So for some people, as much as we see online, uh, the, the photos, the debt-free uh, journeys and screams and all the, what the glisten and glam is, there's a lot of people that do almost fall back and have to start all over again.
0: Mm, And this is why like the emotional and mindset part of it is so important to uncover. Again, it's a deep journey. No one can tell you, you know, we can give you our journeys and you can see like what resonates, but no one can tell you exactly what's going to motivate you. What's going to have you stick to like the goals you set, you know, the underlying even issues just from our childhood and how we were raised about money, like that impact, how, how we are today as adults. I think it's just fascinating how Two people can walk the exact same path or have the exact same maybe tools and have totally different outcomes because of their mindset and how they perceive and
1: view things. Yeah, I always thought that'd be fascinating.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you still have debt, but you're making progress like with your investments, you own a home. I love since you mentioned that you're getting married, like how your partner and you talk about money. Because you've been on this journey for a while now. When you met her, was she also very financially aware or was that something you had to work together to do?
1: She started off kind of like me, that we were aware that we have an issue. We, are, we want things to get better. But for the most part, if you don't have the, the income level, it's just going to take you a long time. So she was living with, you know, almost like fixing the issues, but she was just still living. She was still enjoying herself. And we met at a Friendsgiving, like, I guess, in 2016 or something. It might have been 2016, 2017. I'm wrong. She's going to kill me for this. (laughs) But either way, (laughs) we met at the Friendsgiving, and she started following me. So she see that I talk about financial literacy. She didn't know a lot about it. But every time that she has a question, she'll just ask. And that, to me, was always kind of like, I guess that was the tell sign that she was the right one, because she was the person that just like, she wanted to ask. She wasn't afraid. It wasn't something that she had to hide behind because she had her debt. I think she had forty thousand by the time we we met, and this year we tackled it down all the way to nothing. So it was just us talking it through and understanding what matters because all the interest that you're accumulating on the the credit card or even the student loans, we could tackle that together. Very easy.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. When you have a partner and you can get on the same page, and there's additional income, you are combining your forces together. Like you can do a lot together, especially if You're on the same page about spending and cutting back or being, you know, smart about things.
1: I'm kind of on the same page. Sometimes she (laughs) takes off, at least at the very beginning. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and make it seem like it was all rosy. It wasn't bad. It was just like sometimes I'd be sitting at home, you know, working from home, whatnot. She goes goes to the grocery store, but then she goes to other places (laughs) all the way back. (laughs) If I go to the grocery store, I go to the grocery store and I come back. She stops every other location that she needs to, and that works out. And then then I see something in our personal capital. I'm like, what where's this thing? And I think we got robbed. But it's like, oh, oh, it's just something that you did.
0: Well, listen, this is that's a reality for like a lot of couples. So even you know, on the same page doesn't mean like every day you're reading from the same page. <laughs> it just means, you know, you're generally in the same direction and you read in the same book, but you could maybe be on different <laughs> chapters. Because you know my husband and I like you know, while he's not as financially aware or like of our budget as much as I am, right? So we could probably even save more if he was more like me, but he's not, and he's human and that's life. And so I think for a lot of people, it's important to like acknowledge that because then they think, oh, if your partner kind of goes out and does something, or even you, you know, you want to just enjoy or do something outside of the budget that maybe pushes things back a bit that you failed and it's like, no, no. This is life <laughs> for most couples. Like it's hard to just keep yourself in check. So two people. And if you have kids on top of that, that's a harder task. So, don't beat yourself up if it's not
1: perfect all the time. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Because sometimes I think the the money nerds, the Excel sheet people, we tend to be like, oh, we're going to count everything. We're going to line out of everything down the line. But everybody else is different. And that's why we have a different partner. Sometimes our partner brings in that life, that uh, that looseness that we need anyway, so we could enjoy it. So it's not the end of the day. If something happens in that line item, I'm not really worried as much. For, Did we get robbed on the credit card? <laughs> that's more of my concern. And then we work around that. We have to work together to actually go to where we're going to go.
0: Right. So what are some things that you, you, you're you doing as a couple to help you get to your goals? I know like on your um, account, I think one of your other posts was about like you save like or invest is it 50% of your income?
1: We're almost at 50%. Today, I actually did the the breakdown of like 48.6% of our investment. So we're investing very aggressively. But at the same time, we're still living. Even last year, we went to 14 countries in 12 days. Or was it 12? 12, well, 12, 12 countries in 14 days. <laughs> Sorry, wow. it. it's like the reverse. Yeah. So it's not that you cannot enjoy your life. We just have to front load what's important. Front loading the actual investments putting all that money so you could reap the tax tax savings as well as the benefits in the long run. And then you could still do what you want to do.
0: Right, right. I love that. And you just brought up tax savings. So I didn't want to bring that up with you because so one of the ways that you guys are aggressively investing is in your pre-tax retirement accounts. So you're, which is, I mean, it's a game changer if you have the income to support that. And even though you still have debt, so you don't have any more credit card debt. It's more just a student loan.
1: No, we're coming we're coming back with some credit card debt in 20 in November for the wedding. Oh, because we'll of the wedding. That.
0: Okay, but I'm sure you guys have pay that off once you focus on paying it off. But I think it's interesting because people think about investing in their 401k and maxing it out eventually, you know, as a goal. But how much tax savings that you get. Not only are you investing for your future, but like you're paying less taxes because your taxable income like decreases. So you did have a post that I wanted to um, just like talk through and I'll link it in the uh, show notes for the episode. And we don't have to get too technical because I know like it goes into the numbers a bit. But the average income for most people, like if you want to retire comfortably, like you need to make $78,000, like invest up to $9,000 a year. Do you want to talk through that?
1: Yes. I call, well, I'm not quite sure where I got the term, but I think they called it the magic number. I think somebody hinted at it, but they never really developed it. So I ended up writing about what it is, the magic number, and doing the mathematical formula to prove it. So in, in I guess when I grew up in Haiti, that was the point of math. Like you have to prove, you know, why the solution is the solution. You can't just say that one plus one is one. You have to say why is one plus one is one. So I had to understand that and I broke it apart. And the U.S. Census Bureau, I believe, they do an annual survey that they release almost like every other year. So if it's 2019, you'll see the 2017 numbers. And from those numbers, we could see that majority of the average family itself, uh, average retirees, they spend about $50,000 per year. Because they spent about $50,000 per year, you could use the math to work your way back to figure out how much would you need in order to survive, let's say, 25 years. They say that's that's the outcome. If you want to, if you and your your husband, your spouse, or however you want to um, go about it, if if you want to survive for an additional twenty years and not be a financial detriment to your family, and you just want to kind of give back and actually provide, if you want to do that, then you'd have to be around fifty thousand dollars a year, as price inflates themselves. So, because of it, that number ends up being about if you saved it, if you did the math, the fifty thousand dollars. Time 25, is $1.2 million. That's what you would need for retirement. It sounds like a lot, but you wouldn't have to do all this heavy lifting. That's the big thing. When you take the numbers back to what it is, you really just need $875,000 because the rest of that would come from Social Security. The average Social Security, I believe, is $15,000 a year. So you could work that math back and you only really need um, $875,000 that means an aggressive savings about $580 per month for 30 years.
0: Okay, let's pause there because I know like we're getting into the numbers and people are like, okay, I get that. Maybe I got that, maybe not. But I just want to just recap what you said. So essentially, if you're thinking about averages right now, the average person based on this study spends $50,000 a year in retirement. Now, if you did the math, the quick calculation and, you know, this is how you can calculate how much you need to reach financial independence. Um, where your portfolio, your your investments have enough money to support you, you'd multiply your annual expenses by 25. So multiplying 50,000 by 25 gives you 1.25 million. That's how much you would need to then be able to support yourself ongoing. But what Lawrence is saying is that social security, if it's around, hopefully it is, um, typically is $15,000 a year. So that reduces how much you need annually to live and survive, which is a good thing. Um, if you get social security, which then decreases how much you need to save. So I'm doing this exercise with, um, you know, everyone just to think through, like, cause we talk about reaching financial independence and it sounds good, but like, what about the numbers? Like, how does one actually do that? And so what Lawrence is saying is if you can like get that down to only needing 875,000, because you'll also can depend on either social security or maybe a pension, then you, um, need to save like around 500, what was the number a month?
1: $588 per month for 30 years.
0: So 588, that's how much you need to invest over time to get to this number of being okay. Now, I know some people are just like, well, I'm not anywhere close to maybe being able to invest $580 a month. But I think even investing half of that or a quarter of that still gets you further along than not doing it and to understand the numbers and how compounding interest works, even if you have a shorter time frame, so maybe you don't have like as long as 30 years, you have 20, still puts you in a better position.
1: That's basically it. That's the idea is like once we hear a lot of financial experts, they just drop the word like $1 million. Let's say if you're making $35,000 a year, it sounds astronomical, but I wanted to break it down into such a way that we find out exactly what do we need to start off with? Where do you need to just figure out, okay, can I invest? Can I start? And you're gonna start noticing that your money compounds. So it's not you doing all this heavy lifting to get to the $1 million mark or the $875,000 mark. This is something that compounds, and your interest itself would actually pay you even more. So if you actually took this to the extreme and really uh, focused it down to maybe even $800 uh, a month, that would actually net you in 30 years uh, $1.3 million. But at $1.3, one million of it would would have been accumulated through interest alone.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's reassuring to me. It's not to say that this is the perfect thing. It's a reassurance that you could get into this situation, you get into this market, start actually investing in yourself, and then it can actually work out for you. So it doesn't have to be this zero-sum game where nothing ever works. It can work. You just have to invest in yourself.
0: Right. And you have to, and if you have to start out small because you're in the process of paying off debt, fine, but just start because the time is gonna pass. Anyway, like, that's the thing, like, you know, in my early 20s, when I didn't really care about investing in my 401k, like, if I would have did that now, like, I, I would have had that money now, I had would have had more money. So you know, God willing, we'll be here in 20 years, and you're going to wish that you would have started. So when it comes to just like, where you are now, how do you view your future goals? So I know, you know, you're getting married, which is an exciting time, you are um, looking ahead to your future. How do you foresee like your money journey? Is financial independence um something that you're going towards? Are you more like, you know what, I I like my job. I have no intentions of ever quitting. I'm good with where I am. Like, how do you see things?
1: Okay. In two terms, I would say one, in five years, we're gonna reach million dollar status. That's the first thing, million dollar okay. net worth.
0: Invested. So in your portfolios together?
1: All everything, all totality will be a million dollars plus. That 's where we want to be just to sh- the whole point is to show other people that it's very much possible if you put some effort in it i 'm not going to say it 's the easiest thing it 's not impossible' it's, it's, i guess it 's uh, it's improbable but not impossible so there 's still a chance there 's still a little bit of an odd in there that you can actually pull this off and it doesn 't have to take that long so we 're trying to pull it off in five years, and after that, in fifteen years we 're going to retire and in the retirement stuff, obviously, I guess they would call it financial um, fire, you know, part of the fire movement. But me, I'll actually just try to do a little bit more for the community, try to even open up small business spaces so I can get smart businesses come in and also provide even more services to the community. Because the more we, the more I feel that I can help other people, the better the community is going to be anyways. And the more, it's almost like the, the more happiness around me, so no matter what, it, it fulfills my own purpose. And all this at the same time that I know that my money is going to keep growing as it's invested at wherever it is. So part of what I'm doing now or part of what me and my fiance are doing is really shoring up that boat, figuring out what we need to do. And for her, she's actually going to start doing a little bit more um, discussions about type one diabetes because she has type one diabetes. So there's a lot of different people that don't talk about it. So she just that's what she wants to do. Just trying to share a little bit more. So gives a little bit more advice for people facing that. Because I think she was um, diagnosed when she was like a teenager when she was 16. So it's hard enough to be a teenager, but it's harder <laughs> even more than thinking about, hey, your mortality all day, every day.
0: Right. Right. And that's the beauty of getting your money in order in this way. And you having money and being wealthy and financially independent and secure allows you to, one, live a good life yourself, but then to also impact so many people around you. In a way that really makes a difference, and through just like you showing people, like you just went from saying, you know, in 2012 you're making twenty three thousand dollars. You know, you didn't finish your master's degree, you didn't finish your CPA. I don't mean to like run down all your like the worst parts, <laughs> <laughs> like it hurts. Like I just feel like, and this was only what that's eight years ago. Yeah, it's not that long ago, and you were able to transition now to someone who is like earning over mm-hmm. six figures in five years projected to have a net worth of of over a million dollars, like this is possible for people. And I don't wanna say just like, oh, if I can do it, then you can do it, or if Lawrence can do it, you can do it. It's more of this quote, and I said it earlier in a talk I did today that I just love. It's like this concept of, if none can do it, you can be one. If one can do it, you can be two. So it's like, yeah, of course your situation may be completely different, different starting point, but it's possible. And I just I just love your story, Lawrence.
1: Yeah, that's the whole point about it for me is throughout the process. What I found more rewarding throughout the journey, (laughs) exactly what it is, is the first part I learned about resumes and how much we need to develop our resumes, especially in the black and brown community. We have a lot of talented people, a lot of very smart and coherent people. But When you look at the resume, you're like, ah, the resume got problems and we need to tackle that. So the next thing I started to see, oh, we need to actually do a little bit better with our savings. Let's do a money challenge. Let's do that. Oh, we need to do better with our 401ks. We don't talk about it enough. So let's talk about it. Let's share stuff on Instagram. Let's share whatever we see. Why not? Just share the podcast. Let's share listening opportunities. On top of that, you just continue to you always evolve to the next thing. So you think about taxes. What does that tax do? I, I help other people with their taxes. So we continually do this. And I even helped one of my buddies get his first home. So that was also like the money came to me, but I was also able to help directly with my own funds to help my other friend, who I ended up being his best man at his, at his wedding. I ended up, you know, helping him buy his first home. And now he also has a second or things think he's on his third rental property. Yeah. So it was almost like everybody can help each other, could have this synergy. It exists. You don't, it doesn't have to be an actual number. I'm just going to use the number to show people it's possible, but the number almost, it could have been 500,000. It doesn't matter to me. It's just, I need to show you that it's possible. So you can actually start putting your foot to it. And then even if it takes you 30 years, but at least you've done more than nothing.
0: Yeah. And some of the things you just said brought up in me was one, I know everyone's going for the big goal, right? Like, the okay, I want to like reach financial independence. I want to reach that million dollars. I want to pay off all my debt. But even the small things you're doing now, which you don't think, you know, are that like amazing. It's like it is amazing because like you talked about just like your resume, like this, like these are these are little pebbles and little things that little rocks that create the mountain. And you're talking about just like focusing on a resume, which seems so small, but is the catalyst that got you a better job and focusing on all these other things got you to the position you are today. So it just I think it's hopeful because wherever you are right now, and you're working on the small things, right? You're just working on that budget right now. You know, you're working on just learning and understanding the fees of your 401k, all that matters. And then on top of that, you don't have to wait to reach financial independence and have all the money in the world to be of service or helping to help others. So you can, and help yourself. You can still do that on the journey. Like as you go, as you teach, you teach, um, or as you learn, you teach what you're learning.
1: I think part of a lot of people, they don't know that they had their own story to, to tell. So I've, I've listened to teachers who messed up on the public student loan thing. I'm like, you could teach other teachers how to not to mess up and that could become your bread and butter. I've seen other, uh, I ran into one kid, I guess I was doing a speech or a college tour or something like that. I went to one kid. He said that he, I guess he failed at the job and he filed for bankruptcy. And yeah, I didn't know exactly what that means for him, but I told him like he has a story now. He, no matter how he crafts it, no matter where he goes with it, he could go, he could teach a course in college right now about what it is like to, you know, at least file for bankruptcy. Yeah, it's a shameful he might feel shame for it at the very beginning, but that might help him. That might be the course correct that creates the, the next book. I remember one story of a, a woman, Elizabeth Wright, that was her name.
0: Oh, she was on the podcast.
1: <laughs> for whatever reason, she was faking normal. That was like her big thing. She was faking normal. I was like, oh, I think, yeah, she might've been on the podcast. That's yeah, she right. was. I, found mm-hmm. her, I found her <laughs> online. I found I found her online. I found her story. And that was her thing. She was faking normal. And then one day she woke up, she wrote, you know, almost in the shame. She just wrote like almost, yeah, to, to PBS or something like that. Yeah. And from that point on, her story became something else. Like she ended up being an author of that story, going around the, the country, giving tours. All of these little things matter. So instead of hiding yourself, hiding the failures, hiding the things that are not so good, or even hiding the journey that you're on, share it. You never know that might be the thing that helps you get out your journey faster.
0: Absolutely. And that was episode 59 with I'm Elizabeth White. She was on the podcast and she talked about her story of like, not literally not waking up to her finances and fixing things until she was 55 years old. This was amazing, Lawrence. I want everyone to know where they can like follow up with you and find you. So please share.
1: You could find me on IG primarily at the Neighborhood Finance Guy and also online at the Neighborhoodfinance I basically try to share as much information as possible. If somebody has a question in the comments or even a concept, I literally take that concept, go to Canva, create a whole new thing so I could actually teach not just yourself but everybody else about things that we're all individually learning from. So that's what I love to do. That's what I'm about. And if anything, if you learn nothing from here. Stay, stay tuned and watch uh, Journey to Launch. It actually helped me a lot. Helps me in the run. I hate running.
0: Same here. I don't know. Like, why do we run then? I don't understand why I go out and run if I hate it so much.
1: It's an efficient way of, of getting workouts. <laughs> it I, is. <laughs> that's what they say. I, I wish I was one of those people that, you know, I guess do the, the mental thing. But they zone out. I can't zone out.
0: Literally, yeah. When I'm running, I'm just like, wait, why am I here? But then afterwards, I'm like, okay, this was good. This was great. So, all right. If you love this, if something stood out for you, tag myself, Journey to Launch, and a Neighborhood Guy on Instagram, um, in your stories or in your post, so we can see it and see what you liked about the episode. Thank you so much, Lawrence, again for coming on the show.
1: Uh, thank you for having me, and thank you for doing what you're doing for the community.
0: Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lawrence. I always like talking to people who are in the journey. So talking to someone who's within the journey, but also very transparent, right, with their numbers and what they're doing, I think just hopefully will encourage you, no matter your starting point, that things are possible. And I hope from this episode, if you did gain anything, let me know. So tag Journey to Launch at Journey to Launch and at Neighborhood Finance Guide. On Instagram. So share it on Instagram, maybe your biggest takeaway or aha moment, so we both can see it and respond and promote basically what you learned so others can know to check out the podcast. Okay, it's time for DCU's tip of the week. Now, holiday shopping is upon us, the holidays are right around the corner. So if you in past years have been scrambling last minute for gifts or overspending, consider shopping now. Use this early fall to prepare a gift plan and budget to shop earlier and smarter and spend less. There are lots of places right now giving lots of discounts and deals. So be on the lookout for them and don't wait till the last minute. For more help reaching your money goals, check out dcu.org. If you wanna check out the episode show notes, that's where you can get links to anything that's mentioned and even get a transcribed version of this episode that you can read go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. Now, you can also still grab your free Journier Jumpstart guide by texting LAUNCH to 33777 or go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you wanna support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me and the show.